Um, anyway, we are in this new series called Ruined a Renovation, and uh, last week was our first sermon, so if you're new today, you can just go back to the website and listen to the first one so you don't miss out on anything. And uh, then we're going to continue, who knows for how long in this series. I have no idea how long we're going to go in this. But uh, these first few sermons in this series are, sermons in these series, Sally Sells, She Sells by the Seashore, that's kind of tough to say, um, are kind of like largely reminding and informational and challenging. They're not necessarily always going to be really practical, like here's what you can do kind of things, but... But they need, we need to set the foundation for where we're going in the future with this series. So listen, take it in, be challenged by this, and let's, let's go forward. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, and f- for from it flow the springs of life. Right? Great verse. Proverbs are just wonderful things to memorize, Right? And sometimes it's good, although, you know, although that sounds great as it is, it's good to read these verses in numerous different translations to sort of get a more well-rounded meaning. This thing is driving me crazy this morning. It's like pulling down on me. Um, The NIV says it this way. It says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. So flows from the springs, springs of life flow from it. Everything you do flow, flows from your, your heart, right? Uh, the English Revised Version, I think it is, says, Above all, be careful what you think, because your thoughts control life. So we have a, a difference, a change in language there, from heart to think, or heart to thought, right? Uh, or this one, it says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Or, be very careful about what you think. Your thoughts run your life, Right? And the last one here, the New Living Translation, I think it is, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So that's pretty cool to hear that in all these different translations, and they help us to remember what we've said in the past here at 6-8, that the heart and the mind are one and the same, right? That modern neuroscience already uh, says that, that we know that to be true, that the mind is the seat of emotion and logic, of desire and of reason, right? So heart and thought are synonymous, and Scripture says that. So to guard your heart means you guard your think, you guard your thinking, and to guard your thinking means you guard your heart. It's the same thing. So let's begin today uh, let's by wrapping our mind around this verse, and let's say it prayerfully and slowly, phrase by phrase, meditating quietly over each statement. Um, why don't you just go to an attitude of prayer with me? I want to pray us into this, this sermon today. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart. With all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come here this morning and like a drumbeat would just drum this into our hearts, drum this into our thinking. That you would remind us that you are present, that you are with us. 
that you walk this life out with us. And that you want us to understand who you are, that you want to form the character of Christ in us, that you want to take us farther and deeper down that path of relationship with you, and that how we respond to you in that whole process is important. So speak to us clearly this morning, Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us to surrender ourselves, even where we don't want to surrender. We are willing, but we are still sometimes unwilling. So make us willing in these ways. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, last week, if you were here, uh, we, you'll remember we looked at uh, John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, which says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Remember the woman at the well? And... Uh, but whoever drinks this water I give them will never thirst. Jesus is talking to this woman. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really wonderful uh, verse. And then he says basically the same thing in John chapter 7. We, we looked at that as well. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And... Uh, I personally thought it was a wonderful sermon. I don't know about you, but I just thought it was great. But I was very excited about it. Um, But we talked about how, in that sermon, we talked about how we can increasingly live in holiness and in holiness and in purity and in kingdom power, right? That there's no reason that we should walk in despair or fear or defeat in life. And that's not to talk about, that's not to preach the health and wealth gospel. We fully embrace that we know we will suffer in this life. But rather, it's a life overflowing with Christ, which is attainable. With victory over sin, with victory over circumstance, available to us who follow Jesus with a whole heart. It's an encouraging message. Those of us believing with full assurance that He is the source of life. He is the living water welling up within us, right? And Jesus refers to living water welling up in our heart and our mind, which are one and the same, flowing outward to attitudes and actions towards others and towards this environment or to our world around us. So we understand from Proverbs 4.23 and other places in Scripture that we live out of our heart, We live from our heart, right? We might say. It's not the physical that really drives us. But it's our heart that drives and organizes our life. Our thought. How we think. You don't do anything without thinking about it first. Right? And it's true of all people everywhere at any point in time that we all have this spirit within us which has been formed and is always being formed. Everybody is being spiritually formed, right? And in that, we take on a certain character. What that looks like is the difference, right? And character is formed by all the various choices, large and small, in our lives and the experiences that we undergo as a result of those choices. So in talking about our spirit, in talking about our will, in talking about our heart, in talking about our thinking, we must realize where we find ourselves in life and how we view reality 
including our future, is almost all a result of who or what we have become in our character, right? We become in our inner being, how our heart has been formed. And we all share this worldview as Western Americans. We know that. So there is some groupthink that happens with us. Ah, it's driving me crazy. Um, however, from each of us, are, each, each of us have this unique character perspective, which we, uh, we interpret reality from in an individual way, right? Always interpreting everything which ha- comes at us, and, and as we do, we make further choices, committing to certain actions in our lives, trying always to alter our reality when, it doesn't, when we feel it doesn't suit us. We're always trying to do something, right? And we operate out of all of this almost without thinking about it. Almost without thinking about it. It's almost like second, it's like second nature to us. We, we don't really understand our hearts and how they drive us. We don't think about how we think or why we think the way that we do. Or many times, what's best to think? What are the best thoughts that I should have? Although our heart is setting this life's course all the time, and Scripture tells us that. We many times don't intentionally drink that water that Jesus offers, rather only that which we sort of provide ourselves unwittingly, or, or, or the culture gives us unwittingly. We don't let Him, we don't let Jesus define our thoughts define our reality. It's as if we're, we float on the ocean of culture, right? In the boat of our thinking, without oars, without engine, without a steering wheel or anything like that, and we're blown and tossed by every wave and current of culture and, and, and its thinking, right? We just kind of go along with it all. But in the Scriptures and in this intimate tie that we have with Jesus, this intimate relationship, the Holy Spirit given to us to walk this out with us, we have an outboard engine, so to speak, to navigate culture and to get us to our desired designation. And, but many times Christians still don't use that. It's like the engine stays off and we just float around. And that's why Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Let's say that twice. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Did you think that your heart could deceive you? Your own heart? See, the human heart is a touchy, complicated thing, right? It is. It really is. If you're married, you know this really well. If you have kids, you know it even better, right? It's both wonderful and also very deceitful at the very same time. It is complicated. And you'll hear the wise person say, I don't trust myself. In any given situation where they know that their desire may take control rather than their own logic, right? I don't trust myself around potato chips. If you know me, you know that, right? Ice cream and potato chips. I don't trust myself around either one of those things. Someone may not trust themselves around alcohol. Somebody might not trust themselves around a person of the opposite sex. Whatever it is. Whatever it is that is your weakness, right? 
We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are creatures which actually can think through our own thinking. We have the ability, especially in the ability of Christ, we have the ability to evaluate ourselves and evaluate our own thinking. That is strange. Snakes don't do that. Chipmunks don't do that. Squirrels don't do that. They don't. They're operating on desire. They're operating on, you know, just that impulse. But we have that ability. That's the difference. So Proverbs instructs us to watch over your heart with all diligence, right? And then Jeremiah says to us, the heart is deceitful above all things, but out of it flow all the springs of life, all the direction of life. In other words, all the, everything that, from it flow all the course setting, all the direction, all the choices for my present, what I'm dealing with right now, and my future. And that can be a fulfilling life, a beautiful life, if our hearts are tended to rightly under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and governed by the directional Word of God. It can be a beautiful, beautiful thing, a wonderful thing, a peaceful thing, a, a great thing. Or it can lead us astray if we don't practice self-restraint, if we don't allow our hearts to be governed uh, by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, if we just allow it to be governed by unchecked desire or thoughtless just letting things happen to us. And the good news in all this is Christianity 101, right, is that Jesus has justified us by his work on the cross, a legal term meaning that he's paid the debt before the judge, that a debt that we were unable to pay because like Jeremiah says, our hearts are beyond cure, right? Jesus has paid the debt. So no matter where our deceitful heart has led us up, up, up until now, whatever has happened, Jesus' death has paid the necessary price on that cross for all those infractions in the past and the future for, for our infractions against God's perfect and holy law. Right? That's grace. That's God's mercy on our lives. And as we are justified, though, Jesus gives us a new heart. The engine in our boat. The ability to walk with Him in victory that we've mentioned. But living in this interim time of the kingdom already come in the world, but the kingdom yet fully come in the world, we do battle with our sinful nature which still holds residence in our weak frames, so to speak, right? Which means... That as we're justified positionally with Jesus, safe there, we are also set on a path of sanctification, our spiritual transformation, that we are being made into his likeness. And that is a path on which we must engage with Jesus. That's our choice, to engage with him. Taking our hearts back to Jesus, taking our thoughts captive to him for full direction in life. But many don't. We just kind of go through life. We don't think about it. And they may be at peace with God positionally, but we aren't in the habit of living in peace with Jesus as we walk these things out. He becomes fire insurance for, for us instead of Lord of our lives. And there's a big difference there. And that line of thinking can be seen in C.S. Lewis's oft-quoted words. And you've probably heard this before, but he said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what me, what, what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. In other words, we're just going about letting things happen to us. We're not really thinking about what Jesus has offered us. Most Christians spend their whole lives making mud pies in the slum instead of following Jesus into a wonderful holiday down at the beach. And we wonder. Then we wonder. We sit back and we wonder, why is this happening to me? Why do I lack peace? Why am I stressed out? Why am I depressed? Why am I overwhelmed with life? And when we say that our reality is dictated by our heart, formed into a character which makes choices and takes on actions in this world, that implies that we have responsibility over ourselves, right? We have responsibility over these choices, over our thinking, right? Could we even go as far as saying that all of the disasters, both individual and collective, which fill the human landscape, aren't just, you know, imposed upon us from outside, that they don't just happen to us? I think we can. For the most part, I think we can. Because if you think through it, almost all the things that humankind, the hum, that humankind experiences in this world are a direct result of human choice, which are all the expressions of our spirit. Famine and war and epidemics and economic instability and even our climate is vastly affected by human choice. Did you know that the Dust Bowl, which, which added a great deal of burden to the, the Great Depression, was largely due, or it was caused, by uh, over-farming. They plowed up all the, the prairie grass, which held the dirt in place, and even till today, that region is still affected by that. And that's almost 100 years ago. Almost 100 years ago. Wow. We're getting old, aren't we? All right? It's human choice. Human choice. We see this choice and we see this consequence on the corporate level. Political parties generate more extreme candidates given their reaction to the extremes of the other side. Compromise and camaraderie are lost. We can't get together on things anymore. Right? Both sides have closed their ears to the other, increasing polarity, and as a result, people make choices which the other side has somehow forced them to make or at least they feel that way. And we compromise even our own values in doing that. But this is the way of the world, right? It's the way of the world. Hearts reacting, making choices, governed by desire, setting course, you know, affecting everybody and everything, trying to control our destiny. But in reality, it's just letting life happen to us. It's reacting. It's false intelligence. It's not really thinking. And the deceived hearts of mankind who think they're thinking... But in actuality, they're just caught up in the current of culture and the violence of its speech. And we wonder how we get here. And Satan, the father of lies, stands on his conductor's stand with a grin on his face, directing everything to culminate in an inevitable clash someday, which could have been avoided by responding to Jesus. Have any of you felt that this is heading really south, really fast, really bad in America? We all do. We all feel it. We need our preachers back, don't we? 
This is why Christians are called the salt of the earth. We are, and this is not an arrogant statement, we are the bearer of the thoughts of God. We are the bearer of the thoughts of God. And what are the thoughts of God? It is the heart of God, which is what preserves and nourishes life and brings peace and demolishes racism and demolishes hatred and demolishes all the vitriol in the world. We are the bearer of the thoughts of God. This choice and consequence can be seen on the individualistic level too, right? For instance, when I was a younger man, people might have said about me, trouble just follows that kid wherever he goes. And notice how that's said. As if, it weren't, if I weren't, as if I weren't responsible for all the trouble I found myself in, as if Murphy's Law had just set itself upon my life, right? But the truth of the matter was, when I was younger, I wasn't walking with Jesus at a young age, and my heart led me into situations where trouble was readily available, and it came at a discount, and I had a pocket full of money to spend. My demeanor, my persona, how I carried myself invited trouble. My knee-jerk reactions, my impatience to situations and people invited trouble. My impatient, selfish heart invited trouble. The places I put myself in were rife with trouble. It was all about my choices. And I could blame everybody else. I could blame the cops and authority and girlfriends and enemies. But I made my decisions and I was responsible for them. Now, does that absolve me of any, uh, absolve anyone else uh, of their responsibility if they reacted badly towards me? No, it doesn't. But their behavior doesn't absolve me of the consequences of my choices either. The absence of personal responsibility is quickly being lost in society, and as soon as it's lost, we only have anarchy left. God is the salt. He, he, He is putting us out there as the salt of the earth. We saw this choice and consequence in, in the 1987 movie Fatal Attraction, if you're old enough to remember, uh, what was it, Glenn Close and Michael Douglas in that movie, uh, which scared the pants off of every man in America, right? Just scared us to death, right? A married woman uh, or a married man cheats on his wife with a woman who will not just allow him to use her and then forget her. And she becomes his living nightmare, and she's threatening to, like, she's showing up everywhere. She's threatening to tell him, tell everybody about this affair and his wife and everything else. And, and it doesn't end well for either one of them. The heart led to choices. Choices led to consequences. The heart was deceived, and now there was a major issue, right? We see it in the parent who can't seem to control their child. And they say things like, well, he's just high-strung. There's no controlling him. But there's no discipline. There's little discipline. No direction going on in the household. Tired parents, exhausted because the system that they've created chips away at their resolve and wears them out further. I'm not trying to make you feel, feel bad about yourself if you're a mom or a dad here. But we, are, we get caught in the cycle that we create. And they simply overlook a child's bad behavior, given they don't want to deal with it, which just adds to the problem. An angry outburst from mom and dad and lofty threats are proclaimed, but a child knows, wait a few minutes, and the threats prove empty. 
Mom and dad won't do anything. They won't follow through on that. Or one parent largely checks out overwhelming the other spouse and they just get tired and give up. Largely, this dilemma right now in American society uh, in, in parenting has come about in recent history in the thought that punitive measures or, or strong boundaries for children are actually harmful to them or too limiting to a child and it'll, it'll squash their creativity and all that stuff when it really isn't. That's not true. And what happens? In comes Super Nanny, right? Super Nanny, a great show. I, I don't even know if it's still on, but I loved watching that. Super Nanny comes into the rescue, right? And she's building a whole business on telling and modeling to parents common sense notions which have been expressed in the scriptures and in Christian households for centuries, but we've just forgotten. Proverbs 13.24 teaches, whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, did I say beat your children? No, I did not say that. Neither does Scripture. In the end, parents making choices based in fear or based in worldly wisdom, disregarding God's directive wisdom in family life, and end up doing harm to their children in an effort not to do harm to their children, and their own hearts have deceived them. Parenting conference. If you need help, show up. Let's talk through it together, right? Many of our heart issues in life are like keeping your walkway clear in a blizzard, right? If you periodically clear it throughout the storm, it's manageable, right? But if you just sit inside ignoring it, drinking hot chocolate, then you try to shovel it when there's four-foot snow drifts, you'll, you know, it's all wet and heavy. You throw your back out or you have a heart attack, right? It's common sense. And we'd like to blame the outside world for most of what we suffer under, but the truth is, what we, what, most of what we suffer under is self-inflicted. If you're really stressed out, ask yourself, why? It's probably your choices, right? Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. He's, he's just agreeing with me, right? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Your thoughts shape your life. Your thoughts shape your life. You know, sometimes trouble is simply a result of somebody else. You know, I innocently walk down Lancaster Avenue, a nice safe neighborhood, and somebody robs me by gunpoint and shoots me dead, right? I didn't do anything to invite that, but it is still an issue of human choice on that other person's fault. Now, today we're talking about focusing on the choices that we personally make, which concerns our character. But we have to remember that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness and justice and of peace. And when it rules in a community, peace reigns. And holistic life reigns, right? Given human choice concerning one another is based on love and care under the umbrella of God's character and His values. Responsible, kingdom-minded people don't rob other people with a gun. And in God's kingdom, there would no, be no reason to do so in the first place. Right? But oftentimes, people who aren't walking with Jesus, you know, we see the opposite in them. Maybe not to the point of shooting somebody in a robbery, but in violent, angry ways nonetheless. We see it in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
If you're having a big fight with somebody, check your heart, right? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Can you hear that? Just being governed by desire, right? A picture of people who have not watched over their hearts with diligence. They've allowed life just to happen. They've not thought it through. And as a result, their hearts are governed by desire and not Christ's character. And hearts that are governed by desire and not Christ's character are not only harmful and damaging to self, but they are harmful to community. They hurt other people. I I love what Dallas Willard says concerning these issues. He says, A carefully cultivated heart will, assisted by the grace of God, foresee, forestall, or transform most of the painful situations before which others stand like helpless children saying, Why? Why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? You know, as our spiritual lives have been formed, no matter where we are in life, they they can be transformed by the power of God. They can, no matter how far we've gotten down, gone down the road. And in that transformation, we can stand strong in the face of adversity and avoid much of the unnecessary pain which our hearts would normally lead us into. Have you seen The Last Jedi? Spoiler alert. Shut your ears if you haven't seen it. The Last Jedi, right? The very latest installment in the Star Wars series. Mm, He is being a jerk right now. Pastor shouldn't have said this. But if (laughs) you have seen it, you would have seen Yoda burn up all the ancient uh, Jedi religious texts. Or you think he does. And then looking at Luke Skywalker, he says something to the effect of, page turners they were not, right? Wisdom they held, but that library contained nothing that the girl Ray doesn't already possess. And Ray is supposed to be like this new Jedi coming up, or I think. And we're, and we're led to believe, at least in that moment, that Yoda believes that the ancient texts only reveal what is already in our hearts, right? Although we find out later that Ray has actually stolen the text. Right? Oh, you jerk, Jason. Why did you say that? Right? You should have gone to see it by now. That's not my fault. But I was there the first week. But Joe, I think Joe was opening night, probably. <laughs> Did you know Joe has Star Wars salt shakers and a Star Wars toaster? <clears throat> Dude, that's a total geek right there. I don't know what. But no, I'm just kidding. Be yourself. We love you, brother. Um, <laughs> But that's what we're led to believe. And, and that would be very bad advice, right? If I stood up here and I burned my Bible on this stage and I, and I said, well, it's already in your hearts. It's not in your heart. It is not. You don't have Proverbs 4.23. You didn't make that up. Our first inclination, our first thought, is usually not the godly thought, not the godly inclination. It's not. Uh, Guys, if you're standing out on the street and a girl walks down the street, really pretty girl, what's your... It's not godly thoughts, right? I just proved my point, right? Our first inclination is usually not the godly thought. 
The Judeo-Christian belief system as based on the Holy Scriptures is holy and absolutely unique in comparison with all other religious thought out there. None of them can compare to the the Christian Scriptures. None of them. Because they are not the truth. They are not the heart of God. They are not the thoughts of God. All the others out there. The Bible is. The idea of self-sacrifice, of dying to self, of losing your life to find it, a God who would come into our reality and die for His creation, a God of mercy and a God of grace, those are all extremely counterintuitive ideas. And he does all this all uh, he does all this while retaining his lordship over us, while retaining his standards of holiness and purity over us. And human logic would not create a God construct like that. These scriptures are God breathed through the avenue of people. They are true. You know, we call many of the old books, uh, the Old Testament books, uh, wisdom literature, like Psalms and Proverbs are wisdom literature, right? But really, if you think about it, the whole of Scripture is wisdom literature. Everything is. Remember, Jesus revealed His devotion to the Hebrew Scriptures when He said in Matthew 5, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to get rid of these things. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be uh, by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. They are the words of God. Now, remembering that, that he just said that, there's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 1 which takes it further, claiming Christ is the wisdom of God. It's a really great passage, a little lengthy, but I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate, like all those gurus out there that you think are so smart, right? Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the whole world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, Christ, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 
Great passage. Great passage. And what it tells us is the simple and honest pursuit of Christ brings with it a deep wisdom and a deep power of God in life. That if you wanted to know, you know, if you wanted to know how a computer worked, you'd go to a computer programmer, you'd go to the manufacturer or whatever, right? You'd go straight to the source of who created the machine and who knows all of its inner workings, the person who could dispel all the myths surrounding the machine. You know, I was talking to somebody once about my iPhone, about our iPhones, and she was she was new to her. She had just bought it. And my friend was standing next to us. And we were at the Apple store. And he worked there. He was an Apple employee. <clears throat> and I said, isn't it true that? And I started pontificating on all the things that I knew about the inner workings of an iPhone. If any of you know me, you know I'm not an, a techie dude. And he just simply laughed at me. And he said, nope, those are all misconceptions. He goes, let me tell you how it really works. And he proceeded to correct all my falsehoods, Right. You'd go straight to the source, right? And that's why Jesus says to us in Matthew 6.33, He says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And in 7.24 and 20 through 27, He says, Therefore, everyone hears, who hears these words of mine and puts them into action or puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. So it's the exact same thing that Dallas Willard says in his quote. If we take our hearts to God, we can withstand almost anything, right? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Why? Why? Why is this happening to me? Wisdom and life are to be had in Jesus. That's the bottom line. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through the revealed Word of God, which Jesus Himself embodies. We've all been formed by experience, by philosophies, by Oprah, by loved ones, by friends, by societies, by Deepak Chopra, you know, whatever guru and shaman you've been listening to out there. The murderer, the banker, the drug addict, the garbage man, the accountant, the mom and the dad, whoever we are, all our hearts, all of our thoughts have been formed and for the most part not in the direction of God's character, although not of all of it's bad, right? You don't want to poo-poo everything. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Is that this week? Life shaped by your thoughts. The good news is that no matter how far you've gone down that road, just letting life happen to you, not thinking about it, our hearts and thoughts can be transformed into the likeness of Christ's character. They can. God is pursuing you. God wants this for you. And we simply need to respond with true belief, not the dilemma of, false belief, right? We, the, we need to have true belief. That's faith that is followed by action. Jesus said, you know, believe in me and then follow it up with practice. Faith followed by action. That's trusting our hearts with Jesus. That's our obedience. 
We must choose healthy, spiritually formative habits. Healthy thoughts. Simply put, we come to Jesus to drink his living water. That's it. Right? So we spend time with him. Do you have a quiet time in the morning? Do you spend time with Jesus? We read his word to us. We, we, we allow him to speak to us. We follow the direction of the Holy Spirit through the ministrations of the church body. We check it with each other. You use your Lexio Divina, which, by the way, if you didn't get one, they're right over there. Take them. They're all for free. You know, you use that journal. You use your Ruin to Renovation uh, booklet every week. You download new questions and, you, and you, you struggle with the word and you come to Bible study, you come to community group. And you listen and you engage and you talk and, and all that stuff. You, you, you read books like, um, what's the book we're reading? <laughs> Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard. I mean, it just we let some of these people that have walked this faith before us, we let them speak into our lives and our hearts. We actually engage with this stuff, right? I don't know where I am now. <clears throat> but we pray. We pray. You know, my friend came here yesterday, a friend from Indonesia, and we came up delivering all this stuff. And uh, he said, oh, you can just store it all in this, like, whatever room over here. And I said, that's our prayer room. And he goes, oh, churches don't pray. They don't pray. I'm like, no, nope, we pray. We pray quite a bit. We do. Right? So we pray. We pray. We don't go to God with all of our demands. That's not prayer. We go and we listen. We seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. We, we, we try to understand what God is saying to us, right? And when we disagree with God and His Word, what He says in His Word, we choose to believe that He has the best in mind for us, that He knows what is best for us, that He knows what is best for this whole world. And we adjust our hearts. We adjust our choices. We adjust our thoughts. We allow our, our thoughts to be formed around His because He is God and not us. And we follow the sound advice of Colossians 2.8 which says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spirits of this world rather than on Christ. Followed by the sound advice of 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. This is not like about being like cloistered off and, you know, holding ourselves away from the world. This is about being loving, peaceful, God-filled people in this world, willing to suffer for others and bringing Christ to people. I was, my friend, he is a sort of a master in Muslim ministry, he, who was here yesterday. We were talking about sort of spiritual, this spiritual formation thing. And he said, Jason, the Christian kids in Indonesia right now go to Sunday school for an hour a week and they do something. And usually, and he said, and usually it's not very good. Like it's just sort of they, they just babysit them. He said the, the Muslim kids um, go an hour a day. So they get six more hours a week than the Christian kids get in their study. So moms and dads, how much are your kids getting fed by the Word of God? Right? It's a good question. 
It really is. Because we are growing up in a generation that is unchurched. And we see the effects of that right now, right? And we're trying to do cleanup of it quite a bit. Um, there was something else I was going to say about that, but I forgot. Maybe I'll bring it up later. Let me pray for us as we, get, we go back into worship. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have taken the time and the pains to speak to us. You have taken the time and the effort and you've sweat blood. You have, you have had nails pounded through your hands and your feet. Uh, you have gone to the, to, to the cross. You have, you have uh, come out of the grave. You have done all of this for us so that we would understand and know who you are, that we would surrender our lives to you because that is the best thing for us. I pray for joyous conviction in this, Father, that we would stand up strong with like a steel rod in our backs, just ready to face life because of what you have done and you are doing in us. I pray for a strong character to be built in this church and in the people of this church and in myself and in all of our leadership and all the people that attend here, Father God. I pray that we would give ourselves wholly to you and that we would walk this out with you as best we possibly can. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a God of grace and of mercy and that you want to lead us well. I just pray that we would respond strongly to your leading. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.